Hey, everybody. Happy Friday. Welcome to the Scene Stealers podcast. This is Trevin McGee from Lawrence.com, and I'm sitting here with Eric Moline from ScenesTealers.com. Hello. And we have a couple of special guests. Yes, we do. And they are? Uh, we've got Aaron Weber and Alan Rapp from DadsBigPlan.com. Welcome, guys. Hello, hello. Thank you for having us. Hello. <laughs> you said you weren't going to do your radio voice. I'm sorry. I can't, <laughs> I can't stop it. All right. Uh, yeah, what do we we've, have on tap today? What are we doing? We've got three movies. It's the big uh, Christmas season. A lot of stuff mm. coming out at once. And uh, today we're going to cover, cover Tron Legacy, mm-hmm. Black Swan, Mm-hmm. And The Fighter, starring Mark Wahlberg, Christian Bale, Amy Adams, and Melissa Leo. I don't know why I didn't say who was in the other movies. Yeah, it doesn't I just, matter. matter. I just assume you know. Yeah. I, just, I just like the fact well, that it's all Oscar bait. Well, every, yeah, Garrett Hedlund. Everything we're talking about. Everyone, Oscar everyone knows who Garrett Hedlund is. Well, let's introduce Garrett Hedlund. Let's do. Let's, that's a great segue. Great, Garrett Hedlund is one of the many reasons that I thought Tron Legacy was uh, a bland... Uh, a way to follow up a cult movie from 28 years ago, a Disney cult movie for that matter, um, that that actually, you know, in retrospect, it doesn't have... Yeah, for uh, those of you who don't know, Tron, the original 1982 movie, is about a young Jeff Bridges, um, invents a bunch of video games, they get stolen from him, and then through some ridiculous um, premise, he gets sucked into the video game world and eventually finds the information he needs um, to take back the company and, that and, he helped make prosperous. And Tron's important uh, partially also because it was the first movie to use computer-generated mm-hmm. graphics. It, that's, that's what it's commonly known for, and then a really ridiculous performance from Jeff Bridges. And, it's, and it's Al Gore's favorite movie. <laughs> so that's the trifecta right there. So, so I think you know, Tron has this, uh, pardon the language, legacy to live up to in a uh, certain respect. I but that—that that is, it's really similar to uh, what we were talking about before with uh, a, a series like Indiana Jones and mm-hmm. Star Wars, where it may be a little bit too fondly remembered uh, uh, from a nostalgic standpoint. Oh, for sure. Oh no, sure. no, it's not. It's okay. not too fondly remembered. I knew, I knew Alan was going to disagree with that. I kind of baited him on that. Why do you say that? The first film is is yes, it's it was a Disney kids film, right? but it it had a strong message. It had a very simple message, and it was looking forward into the future, into a world that haven't hadn't even been invented yet. Right. The whole the whole idea behind it, it, it was. kind of treated computers the way that comic books treated radiation back in the back well, in the golden age. You well, know? you know, but that in and of itself that's a good thing. I mean, you can tell that somebody at Disney in the early eighties went, "Come on, those kids like video games." Let's yeah. make a movie about video games. And somebody in the whole process mm-hmm. went, you know what? Yeah, let's do that. And actually, let's make it talk about concepts that are on the horizon already. It predates Neuromancer. It beats Blade Runner to the punch in production design. Yeah. It, you know, it, it, it's talking. <laughs> what oh, kind I, of production? What exactly kind of the production? It had cool that, production that, design. That, That's the only the thing you could say similar to, to about look them. at what the future looks like in terms of technology. Cause and, it, and it's dead on. Because remember, in, in 1982, they're talking about net neutrality before there was a net. I right. mean, that's... Well, okay, so, okay. so partially because of all this, uh, I expected Tron Legacy to have um, a certain amount of forward-looking brilliance or, or any, any kind of anything to say uh, about where we are right now because uh, especially in a year when the social network is so big and uh, uh, Zuckerberg just got named Man of the uh, Times Man of the Year today, I just thought Tron would have something more interesting to say, uh, and it doesn't. So strike one for me. I can't disagree with that. 
Well, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I set him up too, didn't I? Oh, big time. No, you know, it, I I really think it's funny that that it's getting faulted for not being innovative. It's a, I mean, it's a sequel, and I guess like I missed the I missed the meeting where every sequel had to be innovative because most of them aren't, and they're and sequels can still be good movies, um, even if they don't change everything. For me, I mean, the original Tron was uh, a silly movie um, in a lot of ways. And the soundtrack is terrible. Mark Mothersbaugh just drives me insane when I hear that soundtrack. But it had some cool ideas. It had some cool concepts. And I think those really held on and, and carried over. And the set design and the production values helped. And then also uh, costume design. I mean, there were a lot of things on a production level that made the original so enduring. And I think you can apply a lot of those to the the new one too. I'm in the minority here because I actually like Tron Legacy. And I spoiler or let's just get it out of the way. Everyone else here hated it. Well, no you know what? To that to that point, a sequels should be innovative. Die Hard's in a building. Die Hard Two's on a plane. <laughs> very different. See, very, very different. different. That's taking it up a step. You're right. But You're right. but I think the expectation is is that when you have a 28 year gap, that's a that's a big difference between a movie that comes out four years later after the original. Yeah, you've got a lot of time. Technology's moved down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, our understanding. Well, I think it's a visually arresting movie. It's it it's is. But that's it's not the beautiful point. to watch. That's not the, that's not the point when it comes to innovation of the plot. From from a production from point of view, plot, it's a, that's, yeah, that's, that's what inno- I was talking it's, about. It's supposed to be an innovative plot compared to the that, original. I the think original that it is should have pretty yes. pretty waffly mm-hmm. itself. I well, mean, it's 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 a standard action film that set piece is an incredibly innovative that's the hook. Yeah, and. You know, let's be fair. Tron Legacy is gorgeous. Yeah, oh it yeah, is, it's just sumptuous to look at. With with the exception of the 3D, that's completely forgettable. You never you're never gonna yeah. see me get excited at in 3D at the end of a trailer. Well, whenever this movie I will say when the movie starts and it says it, parts though. of this movie are in 3D, but not all of them. That's like, oh, that's a good sign. Yeah, well, well done. <laughs> thanks, thanks for making me wear these glasses for an hour and a half. Yeah, but in in terms of um, moving the plot along, it, it does have something to say, Eric. To your point. It's just Disney's point of view. Our hero starts out. I saw two conflicting messages. So you tell me what you think the one uniting message was. Well, it's 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 an evolved message because the movie starts out. You've got your your you know your raucous rebel hero who's making software free, he's putting it out on the internet. By the time you get to the end of the movie, he's supporting the status quo, and he's gone from, you know, he's basically gone from putting the information out for free to telling. Our bad guy, who is oddly enough Julian Assange, you know, no, this isn't free. You don't get to be involved with this. This is a closed system. See, I think for I, me, it went it went beyond that first initial metaphor and morphed into something far more uh, uh, old old fashioned and and lame, honestly. And that is, uh, you know, we can't let. Uh, uh, the bad guys into our world because they're going to blow it up. The bad guys okay, who are ba- who are basically. Uh, digital Nazis. Okay. I mean, that's that's all they are. They're <laughs> are digital Nazis. Okay. Digi Nazis. Okay. Uh, here, here's my thing. All right. I, I think that basically what you're saying, Aaron, kind of conflicts because he's all about free software at the beginning and everything, but then to he's still about that at the end. It's just the idea and, and information. The question of whether or not information should ever be free that never really comes into play. It's more. Um, whether or not software should be free, and at the end it still is yes, but we have to be in control of our programs and don't let the programs be in control of us. I that, work that's for how the user. Oddly enough, though, again, that brings up a point. Julian Assange, at appearances, has stated over and again, I'm Julian Assange, I fight for the user. Right. He actually that's a uses a he quote makes. from Tron. Yeah, he actually <laughs> uses <laughs> Tron. That. That's awesome. And, you know, the crowd just eats it up. Well, I, th- I think it's more kind of insidious than that because without giving away 
details of how the film ends, you know, the, the, the hero makes the reverse journey you expect. Yeah. Um, you know, he ends up assuming a role that you go, really? Okay, that seems kind of odd. Yeah. But, uh, you know... I will never stick up for this movie for its plot. Don't get me wrong. Like, <laughs> there, there there are gaps and there are holes, and they, they go for the cheap joke way too often, and they sometimes they paint really broad brush strokes when it comes to their characters. Bridges hams it up. Um, I actually wasn't too amused with his um, digital hippie. Zen hippie? His zen hippie, you know, Steve Jobs, Digi, um, 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 Peacenik persona. I didn't really like that at all and then the jokes that were mined from that they were kind of charming the first couple of times they happened but then when it became like a like you know radical when it when that happened i was like oh he's no. stuck in the 80s dude yeah <laughs> totally and so you know there are definitely some plot problems and everything but what i stand by is that it that it's a i enjoyed it because it's a fun action movie um and it really stood out to me not just visually but because compared to what else is out right now i mean it's it's just like Right now, it's it's a it's a it's almost a chore to go to the movies just because everything is so dark and great. Like the great movies and, and Oscar season is great, and I love it. But you have to be in the right state of mind to go to a lot of these. And so Tron Legacy really stood in opposition to that, and and was just kind of a fun sort of throwaway movie. It, it's me. interesting to use the word fun because I would say it's an interesting movie, but right. I'm not sure it's a fun one. I think it tries to take it takes itself way too seriously. Actually, that's the other thing is I think it's really cool that they did take take themselves that seriously because that that plot and the plot in the original is so silly, but they acknowledge and embrace that mythology completely. And I was really glad that there's never a character who's like, "Wait, what? We're little programs that look like people? This is stupid." Like I was really glad that that never happened. If they would have winked at the camera, it would have been over. It would have been I mean, over you with. Just wouldn't be able to see yeah, and I was all. really surprised and I was glad that they never did that. I was glad at how serious they took it and and how fully dedicated and committed to that world they were. And so regardless of how the story turned out, I think that's one of it, the best things it did for itself by far. I think there are a lot of really fun moments in the movie. Yeah. My big problem was a lot of them felt too familiar. Yeah. Um, there were points where, you know, I could sit there and go, Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could sit and there's a scene where they go, okay, well, now we get to meet the Merovingian. Oh, there he is, but this time he's a glam rock Bowie. Yeah. You that know, was fun. When you said, you guys all have all said before that you admitted that parts of it were fun. I didn't think any of it was fun outside of just the general look of it. I thought that the action mm -hmm. scenes were particularly boring and they didn't have any sense of urgency or stakes or anything. Really? And, and, and since you've mentioned Michael Sheen and the Thin White Duke uh, impression that he did, that for me was the only fun in the entire movie. And there's a scene where all of a sudden out of his cane he starts shooting lasers. His, his yeah. Joker, his, oh no, his Riddler cane. Yeah, his Riddler yeah. Cane. well, yeah. or, 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 or if he's doing Bowie, it could be the Thin White Duke. And so I'm, uh, I'm just saying that in a movie that for me didn't have a lot of fun in it, that was one moment where I, I, I did have fun. And it, yeah. was, it was nice to let loose because otherwise it's a pretty boring, bland uh, uh, movie, especially once you get used to the art direction. I was really disappointed by this movie. And, and like you said before, the 3D wasn't that good, uh, and the IMAX theater that we saw it in. The smallest uh, IMAX ever. Well, I don't know that it was small. I just felt like maybe some of the speakers were blown or something, so yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Not impressed at all. Even the you know the, the light cycle sequence, even the initial the the initial fight sequences, the, no the, fun at all. The, the, the I, way I the really way that they the get into cycle. the light that cycles was that was really cool. But then once it started happening, it was it was not that cool. It was uh, on a couple different levels, and I feel uh, that they used those levels uh, like the minimal amount that they could. They, I thought they were going to be way more creative about it. It just seemed pretty rote to me. I don't know. I, I really like the use of camera angles and sort of the unique, just 
ways that they because it's an entire digital environment. I like the way in the places that they put cameras and that. And even in the real world, some of the cinematography choices when he's on his motorcycle, where they put the camera to follow him through traffic. I thought there were some really informed artistic decisions throughout that. And you know, that to me, that was that was something that sort of made it stand out compared to uh, what I would consider to be a, a lesser or more predictable or, or maybe not predict maybe predictable is the wrong word, but sort of a out of the box or by the numbers action movie. So there were these little touches that made me go, Oh, well, you know, someone is, someone has a, a vision in some way that might, it might not be fully realized or well um, executed, but there's, there's a hand on the wheel. <laughs> so you, you just admitted it may not but, be well executed, but, but I was, no, I, I totally said, I don't think it's like, I don't think it's a great movie by any means, but, I, but there are, there are parts that are good. And I think I was shocked well. by, by, it not seeming to be anyone at the wheel where, where you had story elements that were very inconsistent yeah. over the course of the movie. Oh, for sure. But, you know, at the end of the day, though, I mean, it's Tron. What are, what are we talking about here? I mean, right. for me, um, do I want to be positive on it? Um, yeah, I do, because I have such a love and affection for the original. And to me, that's that's my big problem, is it, it, it just feels disappointing. Yeah. I wanted a little bit more. I expected a little bit more from from this. But there are a lot of elements of fun, and there are some some high points of design and some set pieces that are clever and well done. I mean, if you can't have any fun with this movie at all, Eric, I'm sorry, you're you're dead inside. <laughs> <laughs> you're just dead inside. It's true. It's, I, it's definitely more this visually really interesting. Supposed to be a podcast. This yeah. is actually just an intervention. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, you don't have to we trick will, me. We love you, and you're you need to hand yourself. over Freddy Got Fingered right now. Oh, I'll <laughs> hand it over. <laughs> all right, and make all of you watch it. Let's move from light cycles to a really creepy character drama. In, but but oddly enough, Set in still ballet. nerd bait. Yeah. So yeah. still a lot of nerd bait in this movie. Yeah, what we haven't talked about yet um, is how uh, incredibly hot the girls were in Tron Legacy with their really skin-tight outfits and, and uh, makeup and everything. And we're going to move right into Black Swan, which has a much-talked-about uh, lesbian encounter between Mila Kunis and Natalie Portman. Um, but I am here to say that, uh, okay, period interests aside, uh, this is one of the best films of the year uh, in terms of what we were just talking about Tron lacking, which is character drama. Yeah. And and I think that Darren Aronofsky, the director of this movie, uh, has a really, really good handle uh, on what makes people who are obsessed with their artistry tick and what what strive what they what they use to strive forward and and uh, and so Natalie Portman is this ballerina. Yeah, and, and you she know, gets obsession is something that he definitely thinks yeah, about obsession. now. That, that is something that he has has gone back to, like in an to an almost Werner Herzog degree. He's he's gone back to the obsession. And so, like like the wrestler, uh, the movie a couple of years ago with, with Mickey Rourke, this movie basically follows around uh, you know one person uh, through this incredibly difficult journey. And uh, the the difference um, between Black Swan and the wrestler is that the wrestler was kind of going for this verite cinema verite type feel uh, yeah. and this real grimy realism. Black Swan does that to a certain extent, but then there's some really fantastical elements that branch off of that, and we're left to figure out whether this is happening all in Natalie Portman's mind. Or or what really? So how did you guys interpret it? Aronofsky's entire filmography is is obsession, mm -hmm. and what happens when your life is consumed by this passion, um, whatever that may be, whether it's math, whether it's science, whether it's art, whether it's 
Heroin. Drugs. Heroin. Yeah. Uh, whether it's jumping off the, you know, the squared, the four squared corner ring. Uh, but this, the most impressive element of this is taking that same idea and letting you see how disorientating that obsession can be. What it feels like to have the reality of your existence really just kind of swept aside mm -hmm. by this internal uh, turmoil. She's in almost control. every frame of the film, mm -hmm. just like Mickey Rourke was. Well, yeah, and it's really—I mean, it's—it's it's amazing how how well that her breakdown is handled, and how he patiently, as a director, just kind of chips away at her sanity for that entire movie. Um, There's—it—it's not really—I would say it's never—it never gets abrupt. I would say Black Swan is never abrupt in anything that happens, despite being. I mean, God, it's it's just about two hours, right? I mean, it's. it's I think it's a little under two hours, yeah, and and like you said, right. he starts dropping clues right from the beginning that something is amiss. It's not like anything really, uh, uh, bl blindsides you, yeah. in in the movie, and 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 that's one of the strengths I think of the screenplay. One of the. Um, downsides of the screenplay for me is that I felt that they spelled out just a little bit too much uh, what exactly was happening uh, because um, this is there's this performance of Swan Lake uh, that, that that Natalie Portman's character is getting ready to lead to head up and she's got to play both the white swan and the black swan and I felt that the director uh, a lot of times, uh, Vincent Castle, who played the director, had a lot of expository dialogue, and a yeah. lot of times he had to over-explain things. Um, but uh, outside of that, I think everything else in the movie is 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 really remarkable. I've, I've got to defend Castle for that. I, I watched it with my wife, who's a dancer, and she she looked at him and went, "That's Balanchine. Mm -hmm. He's doing a perfect representation of what one of these guys is really like at, at this stage." In a production. Well, I like the way he pushed her. Yeah, I like the way that, that he made her talk about sex, and he made her. I mean, I didn't like it because I thought it was slimy, but I think that theater directors probably nice do get choice, inside so. their uh, actors' heads to a certain extent and try to push them to get the performance know. they want. Right, exactly. And there's a there's a recurring theme in the film that that sex in and of itself, that the danger of sex and what it what it represents, and he uses it as a weapon against yeah. his own troop members, like he did before with the Winona Ryder character. Yeah, yeah. And then she sees it as this, you know forbidden, repulsive, attractive thing that she yeah. can't decide what, what works. And her brain is working against her whenever, whatever road she tries to go down. And that's a brilliant way to, uh, to, to convey that level of frustration yeah. and, and anxiety. And, and, and to Portman's credit, I mean, she does a phenomenal job. She's, she's the, terrific. Yeah. yeah, This is the best role she's yeah. I ever mean, had. She, she's fragile, but she's not... She, she just plays fragility so well, but at the same time... Um, it never feels cheap or fake. There, there's enough dimension to her character that she, her character isn't just fragile or frail. Um, there's enough dimension to her, that, she, and she's able to properly portray that um, to where you're not just like, well, she's a little mousy thing, and, and this is her story of going I wanted, I wanted to make a comment about the horror element of this movie because it does go down a certain path uh, uh, you know, about halfway into the film, and I think a lot of people, the the serious uh, film dramatic types, you know, they they think that, w that as soon as you put any element of horror into your movie, mm -hmm. that somehow you've entered an, a slum, you've entered you know uh, a, a genre that doesn't really deserve this respect, and and I think that um, you know that I would put this in in the same realm as something like Carrie or uh, you know any other uh, psychological horror movie, even Psycho to a certain extent, even though it has a little bit more uh, gory elements to it because uh, it's focused on that. And so I think uh, the whole idea that because there are horror elements in this film that that somehow diminishes it, I, I don't agree with that at all.
Uh, I think this, I mean, I kind of argue with the idea of, of putting it in the camp of, of Carrie or Psycho. Psycho maybe, but this is far more, this belongs far more in Polanski's yeah. side. Uh, I would definitely. This, yeah. is, this is far more psychosexual suspense than anything else. And um, I, I think it's impressive that Aronofsky's willing to go that far to show you these really kind of freakish, fantastical elements and just bombard you with yeah. it over and over again. And it's visually, it's an incredibly striking. And it, I mean, it's those moments that are the most memorable in the film. Those far, are the ones that stay sure. with you. Well, I think Black yeah. Swan is just a very simple story, well told by you know, a director who's in full command of you know what he does. Yeah. And there, you know, if if any credit goes out to the man, it should be for finally giving Natalie Portman a role where she legitimately pulls off sexy, mm-hmm. because it, she's incapable of it. And most everything else that she does, you don't buy it from her because she seems so kind of stayed and reserved. I, I know a lot of guys uh, who would argue uh, with you about that over uh, the professional and beautiful girls and uh, okay, I would never and I would never <laughs> That's a little and what I'm saying is I would never uh, admit to, uh, that those that I'm one of those people because I'm not. So we're, we're I've saying heard Natalie that, Portman heard has that. finally achieved the sexiness of she when, she was with 14. when she was 14 exactly. years old. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Good to know. Yeah. Excellent. That came out wrong. Yes, it did. <laughs> very, very wrong. How, how did that have come out right? I just want to know. How I just remember when, when those movies came out, I had a lot of my friends going, yeah, that Natalie Portman, she's hot. <laughs> she's sexy. And I was just like, she's 14, guys. You the Mancino now? Is that... <laughs> He's yeah. less than that in the professional. Yeah. Oh, and, and while I, I certainly wouldn't argue that Kunis is anywhere, gives anywhere near the performance that Portman does, she's a good compliment to yeah. her in the movie. I would she, agree. And there's a lot of promise there. That's the best we've seen from her so far. And that made me think, that's someone who I want to see get mm-hmm. more roles like this. She pulled it off just effortlessly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't really say much more about it than what we've said. I mean, it's a fantastic movie and worth all the praise I think it's been given. And I don't think I am alone in saying that. All right, the last movie we're going to cover today is David O. Russell's film The Fighter, starring Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg. And Aaron and I didn't see this one yet. We're running a little bit late on the film, so uh, Trevin and uh, Alan are going to handle this one. Go ahead, Alan. Well, as the person in the room who wasn't thrilled with the movie, I, I guess I'll start. That's not to say I didn't like The Fighter, but for a David O. Russell film, I thought it was less than impressive. How so? Well, m- my main complaint is the structure of the film. Okay. You s- You're you auditioning s- to me right now. You're auditioning <laughs> your position to me right he, now. He, uh, he spends the first 50 minutes as basically set up, explaining who these characters are, their relations to it, ships to each other, and that, yes, that gives you great dramatic moments, it gives you great interaction, but it doesn't move the plot forward at all. And then you're left with about 45 minutes left in the movie, and he has to squeeze every single plot point into the last 45 minutes, so it becomes montage after montage after montage. What I really liked about it is that it... I liked it for the same reasons you didn't like it, it sounds like, because it could have been every other sports movie, and they're definitely advertising it like it's every other sports movie. There's the Jay-Z song in the, in the commercials, and you just see him training and trying to get his act together. And then the movie starts, and it's this... One on one between, um, or it's this one on one camera thing between um, Wahlberg and Bale talking to an unseen director um, on a couch about their their life together, 
and it's like it's done very much intentionally. It's 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 like a documentary, and then you realize there are all these other elements that go on, and it does give a lot of backstory, and it does give a lot of it, it fleshes out that family in the first forty five minutes. I mean, it really the the fighter is a character drama with with boxing kind of. Well, it is, and and I guess in. I guess I wouldn't have such a big problem if this had or been family a, drama. I should if say, if this had been drama. a three hour movie and mm-hmm. he spent the same amount of time, I wouldn't have an issue. But yeah. it just seems the rest of the movie is very rushed to me. Yeah. I didn't feel that way. I for me, I really enjoyed the amount of time we got to spend with the characters and him establishing Russell, establishing that that world that they came from. And Lowell is rendered the neighborhood and everything is rendered with such attention to detail. Well, it was such a great decision to actually film there. I yeah, that's brilliant. And there's this scene at the very beginning where the two brothers are, um, the documentary crew's fo- following them, and uh, uh, Wahlberg's doing road work, and then Bale comes up and starts distracting them. And then they kind of go on this walk through the neighborhood and just sort of soak up all the local fame they can. And it's this great scene where they're like, you know, um, Bale's character is just hamming it up and pointing at people and like taking hats off guys' heads and spinning around, handing them back and putting people in head. Just it's this great like you realize that that they're sort of local heroes and they're content to be that, you know. And I, I really liked that they focused on that and and that the idea that these guys didn't have big aspirations. You know, eventually Wahlberg kind of, or his character rather, um, starts to get there and starts to get tired of the grind. But the idea that this isn't Rocky, you know, and that it's not, the it, goal isn't to be the world champ. Or except to it, be, it kind of comes at in the montage sequences a little bit towards the end of the movie. It, it, it really kind of falls into that category. He to does me. climb to the top of a mountain in Russia. You're right. There is that scene where he climbs to the very top <laughs> mountain in Russia. Um, was that sarcasm? No, but no, but uh, you know, happens. you know, Bale and, and Wahlberg are very well cast in the movie, but they're they're pretty much still in their comfort zone. I think the cast in general is awesome. Yes, like, uh, but the, and the sisters, like the, the whoever the casting agent was that got those sisters, like wow, holy crap! The, the sisters that you wouldn't want to be anywhere yeah, the, near. Just the worst. Every time they would cut to them together in a room, I just tensed up. I mean, they do family. They do such. He did such a good job with the family tension and the amount of. Um, baggage that uh, Mickey um, Wahlberg's character had to deal with just coming from the family he came from, and the the actress that plays his mom, Melissa Leo. Yes, Melissa Leo. She's fantastic too, and I mean, I guess she's a front runner for best supporting, and I think she totally deserves it. I mean, she she's just incredible, and that's another character that could have been a huge stereotype, and thankfully. At least I didn't think she was. I thought well, that she... I, I think she's good. The The performance that stood out for me was Amy Adams because she's so far outside of her comfort zone yeah. in this movie, doing something we haven't seen her do. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think like I think the whole cast is awesome. I mean, and even Bale. I mean, you said that, that Bale didn't really get out of his comfort zone. I mean, there's a lot of attention for him right now because he got skinny again and because of that weird GQ interview. <laughs> but there's this part during the credits, and this doesn't give anything away, but there's this part during the very... Um, beginning of the credits where you get to see the the real life brothers and he's him i mean yeah, he really he captures, is yeah. he captured dicky perfectly and that was i know that's why they put it in there just so that you could see that he wasn't so does that it secure his oscar then one. i hope it does i yeah. think he honestly deserves it i you can't think, think two supporting actor oscars should go to this movie yeah wow absolutely i just want to clarify you think christian bell has a comfort zone now now <laughs> now let me ask you this question is this dicky's story or mickey's story I think it's the family story. I know that's a right. cop out, but I don't. So. I don't think it's. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's exclusive to either. Because I think. you know there there are points where it, where it leaves Wahlberg and, mm-hmm. and stays with Bale. Yeah. Um, so and those scenes are those scenes are some of the the best. Yeah. And some of the hardest. 
the whole prison thing and what happens in prison and no it's not rape but what does happen in prison is is the darkest part of the movie and one of the one of the most memorable parts i mean it's the part i think a lot of people are going to talk about and and it's it's the, the scene the movie kind of shifts on on his realization moment in prison mm-hmm. um and that's where the movie also starts to get rushed for me because I would like to have seen that yeah. evolve. No, I agree. I, I, and I would say I, I agree with what you're saying about the, the montages towards the end because they do sort of turn it into a boxing movie for the last 30 minutes. It does pretty much become like, okay, we've got all this family stuff. Now he's got to train, and now he's got to do this. And then they, they, they almost yada, they basically skip over the fighting. You were just going to say yada, yada, yada <laughs> the ending. <laughs> Yeah. Right, they almost yada 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 at the well, end. Well, because it, it because it it becomes there's well, there's I was say yada 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 the boxing. But oh, okay. same thing. There's a sequence in this film that's very reminiscent of the montage in Rocky Three, where Rocky's <laughs> knocking out everybody yeah. in like fight after fight after yeah. fight. It, it's very reminiscent of that. Yeah, and so they they do kind of have to cut some corners. But for me, it wasn't really a sports movie, so I didn't it didn't bother me. It was more of a it was more of a family drama and a in a character based movie. So the fact that it wasn't uh, boxing intensive didn't really upset me, even though it's called Fighter. So Alan didn't like Tron because it was too much like Star Wars, and he doesn't like the Fighter because it's too much like Rocky. With right? not enough Survivor. <laughs> and and <laughs> no Mr. T. <laughs> Aaron and Alan, thanks for joining us today, guys. Yeah, they are from dadsbigplan.com. Go there. Go there often. You both do. And I tweet much of their uh, content. Not so. always at gunpoint. <laughs> <laughs> and not always about Star Wars. Thanks for joining us, guys. And, uh, Alan, I believe you'll be back next week. Woo! Thanks for having us. 